0: That's kind of like Carolyn Miss. She wrote the Archetypes book and Anatomy of the Spirit. And she basically does lectures on all of her Mm. books. And so the audio books of her books are not, they're not the, the transcription of the book. Like they have completely different things than what's inside the book.
1: Love that. (laughs) <laughs> kind of love it but also like yeah what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, yeah you're like uh, I'm trying to take notes <laughs> yeah. yeah I'm
0: like trying to yeah. look for the concept <laughs> yes in the book and I'm like wait this is not she just like goes off on a tangent you're like okay and she's like always yelling kind of you know like she's like always a little bit scolding you but like I like it I don't know
1: <laughs> <funny>. <laughs> but, oh wait man. perfect segue Hello, welcome to the top house. Carolyn Miss is a perfect segue to what we're talking about today, which is pitching and how to pitch according to your creator archetype. But Carolyn Miss is an OG when it comes to learning about archetypes for all of us.
0: I would also say like definitely an inspired creator. She's a prolific creator, writer of books, creator of courses, maker of decks and just, you know, all around cool lady.
2: I know. I was trying to figure out, I'm like, what creator archetype would she be? And I can recognize how she's been different archetypes throughout the different stages of her journey. But Mm -hmm. she, I think through and through, she definitely has been like a trend spotting evolutionary. She also, I think, is a lot of the empire building futurists. I was going to say that one. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. 100%. So we're going to be talking about the creator archetypes that we've created. We're referring back to two episodes that will link the show notes because we did part one and part two because we go into detail. So those are linked in the show notes. If you haven't checked them out, it's a great listen. But we're going to be talking a lot about those today just as an FYI.
0: Yeah. And like when we say pitching, we mean how to sell your shit. <laughs> really, that's, yeah. that's all that pitching is, right? It is getting, if you're pitching a service to someone, it's getting them to say yes to your service. If you're pitching a product, that's just marketing a product. If you're pitching a story or a concept, a piece of content that you want to get made, like a movie or a screenplay, same thing. You're selling your story. You're selling your idea. You're selling yourself as a director or writer. So we all have different strategies for success when it comes to pitching. And I think across the board, we hear that like there's only one way to do it. And I would say that that's 100% not my experience. As a projector and as one of these creator archetypes, I know what my strategy is when it comes to pitching. And I think it's very different than yours, Wallace, or yours, Janelle.
1: Mm-hmm. It's also, I feel like, one of those things where I could be easily susceptible. I think more so in the past to content around. This is the one thing you need to know to pitch. Blah blah blah. Whatever <laughs> it was, like whatever area <laughs> you were in, and at like a time, title.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes,
1: any clickbait content telling me how to pitch better. I feel like uh, I have been very susceptible, but most of them are saying essentially the same thing
2: that's what i'm so grateful for at least in my life the introduction of meaning making systems because i think it has mm-hmm. made it easier for me to recognize when i have to find a new or a unique pathway to doing something than what's usually out there like, taught to people because we all are so different we're also unique i mean to your point michelle projector right and i think wallace oh my god you're an mg and I'm i mm-hmm. I'm a generator, right? Like
1: even mm-hmm. just
2: like within our team, we operate very differently, and so the way that we're going to show up or pitch ourselves or pitch our products is going to be going to be a little different. It's going to look different, which makes sense.
1: Absolutely. Okay, we're just going to do a quick mini light review of the creator archetypes starting with the trend spotting evolutionary which Janelle you just mentioned we're going to do a little when in light and when in shadow to kind of clarify what's going on with these creator archetypes so when in light this is someone who sees and is Usually first to seeing collective trends, they really move onto different platforms and technology quickly and can adapt very quickly. And they have a dexterity to them and can build little universes very quickly or content on different platforms very quickly. When in shadow, sometimes they're spread a little bit too thin. They've got dilettante energy, jack of all trades, master of none. Which I learned the full sentence of that the other day. It's always
2: better than a master of one. Like yes. nobody ever says it. It's Wait, so where funny. did we all hear that? I like feel like I heard that recently. Well, listening to something a few months back, and I learned that that was the full saying. And I was like, I've got to tell everybody this.
1: A hundred percent. So part of me is like, mm, maybe not so shadowy, but even a prolific jack of all trades can be oh, spread too thin. Um, totally. And let's... like
0: deletante is a great, arch- like it's a neutral archetype, mm-hmm. right? But I think like when it's shadowy, it's feeling, it maybe has like imposter syndrome. Like it mm-hmm. sort of flits from thing to thing to thing without really like grounding down and maybe totally mm-hmm. like metabolizing or understanding and mastering the concepts that it's playing around with. And there's such a reward in like sort of buckling down sometimes and working through something, even when it's challenging. So,
1: you know, can be, totally. can be great, can be a challenging archetype, just depends. Hmm. Who, who's an example that you guys are into right now?
0: I think that Kat Cohen, the comedian, oh, I don't know if you guys yes, know of yes. her, and also Pat Regan, who's her podcast co-host. I actually think mm. he might be more of a transpotting evolutionary than she is. Um, mm. To me, they are this because they're they're like constantly bringing up new fads and ideas and making mm-hmm. fun of them. That's kind of like what they have to do. And I think yeah. Kat, especially, has like figured out how to have a Netflix special and be on TikTok. And be in movies mm. like she just as she's in a movie with my friend, Monica, like she's just kind of like figured out how to get in a bunch of places and work all at the same time.
1: And I, I like what she's up to. I
2: got to look her up.
1: I'm Sorry. Sure. I think I've seen her on TikTok. I haven't seen her Netflix special, but maybe I've seen clips of it. She's so funny.
0: She's <laughs> so funny. It's stand up and they're like songs that she writes. And oh. That's what I think is really interesting because she's – that's kind of like a new – feels like a newer thing in comedy is these people coming up with like comedic, whatever, songs that have subtext. And a lot of her comedy is about like her body and beauty and femininity and like embracing her, you know, her weight and how she feels. Her her Netflix special is called The Catch, She's Gorgeous or something something like yeah. that. It's like – it's she's really funny. She's cool.
1: I think that's a really good example. That um, is.
2: A, it actually makes me think of one who's probably very similar, which is Z-Way.
1: And I, I would think, think it was thinking yeah. of Z-Way too. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Based in the industry, but like extremely trendy, very, yes. very not afraid to push the boundaries on like what could be potentially very controversial. And yeah, I also just... Love her style. I'm obsessed
1: with. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah, she's I,
1: incredible. I <laughs> have also heard kind of similar to, I guess visionary types, like has such a specific vision when you're working with her, which makes sense mm-hmm. because it's clear throughout like everything she does. Mm-hmm.
2: So really quickly, sorry, it just, this also made me think of you know, people who go viral, like influencers mm-hmm. who become, like major sensations overnight. I feel like those you automatically have to assume that they're on their trend spotting, like evolutionary journey. Yes. Because like you think about that like fiery passion, that like rising star, which inevitably does kind of like burn out unless you find another way to direct that energy. Um, mm-hmm. like that that is a particular stage in that in that journey that everybody hits when they're on their way to influencer level, I suppose. I just I never thought about that. That you yeah. do. You are at some point a transpiring evolutionary if you are an influencer. Yes,
0: I would I visualize it as someone who catches wave after wave after wave mm-hmm. without having any downtime. Like they see the wave coming and then they're like automatically up and they mm. almost like they almost have like pre- precognition, the mm. ability to like see into the future and know what the next thing is and know when to get in the right position to like catch that wave and ride it as much as they possibly can and when to like, you know, jump off their surfboard and like bow out of the wave when the, when the trend is over before other people realize it.
2: Ooh, wow. It's so funny when you explain it, cause you're explaining it so clearly. You, it's so clear to me that I'm not that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait, I, I was just thinking this is such a, this is such a good opportunity to talk about also how does this person pitch? Because I mm-hmm. feel like this person, this, how does this archetype pitch because this archetype almost doesn't need to pitch in the same way Mm -hmm. that I think you know the stoic might, um, Mm -hmm. which we can talk about later because this person is kind of catching the wave by being themselves Mm -hmm. and being clear on their vision, but dexterous in their ability to translate it into different mediums. Yes. And
0: we have this book that we love at Holisticism called The Three Minute Rule. And it's an incredible resource if you're looking to understand how to pitch just in general, kind of like you need an outline, which is what I always. I need to like work off of something. You know, never write from a blank page. And one of my favorite lines in the book is "story trumps style." And I think that <laughs> is the mantra for this for the trend spotting evolutionary. When it comes to pitching or marketing yourself, it's about the story versus like how gorgeous and glamorous you know the the box is going to look. Because often with the trend spotting evolutionary, there is no visual example to point to of like what you want to create and what you're going to do because no one's ever done it before. Um, Mm -hmm. so you have to, you have to tell a story and it's, I imagine for a transpotting evolutionary, it's already working itself out, like the narrative is coming together in your brain. So all you have to do is like open your mouth and and share what you see and how you're seeing it with other people. And like that will engross them and get them get them to believe you. Like you don't have to try and convince them that you're right. You just need to show them what you see.
1: One thousand percent. I have a quote saved from the book that is him saying exactly, he was telling a story of when a pitch wasn't working. And he said, I was trying to sell instead of conveying information. I wasn't letting the ideas do the work. I wasn't telling a story. Mm -hmm. And I think when you're this type of creator person, sometimes if you're like stuck in between, or you're almost in between catching waves, it can be hard to know what the next step is. And to your point, it's really about the story and letting the ideas do the work. And Carry you through.
2: A lot of trust, I feel like, in that archetype. A lot of like, things, yeah, like I'm just gonna trust that the next wave is gonna come once I get off of this one, and like I can imagine that being a bit of an emotional roller coaster if you're not aware of how the process works for you, you know.
0: Totally, and it like you might even think, well, maybe the first wave I caught was just a fluke. Yeah, like, am I am I actually gonna be able to get up next time the wave comes on my board and like you know surf it or Was that just like beginner's luck or whatever? Did I just kind of like let the tide take me? But believe in yourself. You've got this. You got it, bestie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Exactly. And I think the trend spotting evolutionary, if this is you, you might also be like a little intimidated by the fact that you have to surf all these waves all the time because that can sound exhausting to like constantly keep up with trends. But don't fret. Most of the time, this archetype evolves into the stoic, which we're going to talk about later on in this episode, because you can really only bounce around and be on trend watch for so long. Like you, And you also eventually like really find your groove in something that you're truly, truly, truly deeply passionate about. And maybe Carolyn Miss is a good example of, of that, right? Like she kind of has mm-hmm. bounced around from thing to thing to thing in the spiritual world. And now really what she talks about a lot are archetypes. And that's her kind of bread and butter.
2: Okay, let's get into our second archetype, the patron. This is an archetype that when in light is really generous and luxuriant with their time. They also tend to offer content perspective that has great depth and value in cultural commentary because they recognize that they are building and creating work for their audience, for their community. They are usually creating from a place of joy and freedom and ease, and they understand that the work the work is for their patrons, as I said, but it's healthy, right? They're not sacrificing themselves or what is naturally coming up for them in order to just give all to their their community, their patrons. They can articulate the value of why their patronized content is so important. They're really clear on what their work is, what they're doing, and why people are should have access to it and should be accessing it. On the shadowy side, they're at the beck and call of their patrons. So their audience, everything that they want, they just kind of flow with the wind to, you know, they're at the words. They just kind of flow. They have a a boss. Their audience wants. Yeah, their audience is their boss, right? Exactly. Which doesn't always... Feel good, right? When you're your own CEO, your own boss, you're your own boss. And so you want to figure out how to create a balance in that. The other shadowy elements are they're hostile to those who can't afford to pay and can be extremely difficult to access because they're so niche, perhaps. They're priced really, really high and they're cloistered and out of touch with what's happening beyond their bubble, right? They're almost like a hermit. They're like really laser focused on like their niche little section that they don't allow themselves a wider perspective or a wider lens of what it is that they're doing or the information that they have access to that they could be sharing with their audience. And then when they lack patronage, they can become demanding and entitled to those who they believe owe them, right? They have this sort of self-righteous attitude about what they deserve, what, they're, what they've are what they owed or what they're owed without actually giving over the value or the, the, yeah, the value of what it is that they're doing, right? They just become really indignant about it rather than staying in touch with what they're doing and why they're doing it. And a strategy or content strategy for them might be, Ten percent of their time is spent on free content and the community. And ninety percent of the time is spent on their patrons, right? On their actual audience, the community members, the people who are paying who are paying for their substacks or, you know, advertising or or paying for their services. Or another content strategy is building your community, right? Like community is mm-hmm. key for, patron, for patrons for I, I right.
0: think that oh, go ahead.
2: No, it's okay, please. Yeah. That's the whole point. Is they're they're there to serve the community. Go ahead, Michelle.
0: Yeah. I always, when I think of the patron and like how they would pitch to someone, I literally think of like the king or like a Medici, right. And like the artists that would go to them and be like, Hey, <laughs> Hey, <laughs> Hey, messy. Can you like, give me some money so I can just like make some art here. I promise it'll be amazing. You know, like it'll <laughs> be so cool. To, and I'll like hang out with you and we'll talk about art stuff and, and like really what you're what you're selling what you're pitching is you and your genius it's not necessarily the work that's going to to come out of it of course but it's like your presence your ability to be in the world and make your work at the highest caliber to like have time and be and be resourced that's what you're pitching more than look at this amazing book that i wrote like isn't this book incredible it's more like I'm an incredible <laughs> creator, and I'm going to not just write one awesome book. I'm going to write many books, and I'm going to provide so much value to the world and to you. But I need help right now, or I need support right now, so I can continue to do that.
1: I. It's making me think that we're in an age of great patronage through Patreon. Totally. Specifically because you think about how we've normalized that type of direct patronage to a creator through platforms like Substack or Patreon. And I think maybe in the past we would have thought about like even talk show hosts because it's kind of a cult of personality type of Mm -hmm. role in in a way. To your point, Michelle, about the, the genius and it's like you're always by being you, you're always pitching your show, your art, your genius. It's
2: interesting thinking about this like backwards and like not showing up and being like, well, what archetype am I? But rather, what is it that I'm trying to accomplish and what archetype do I need to step into in order to accomplish
1: that? those are really Mm -hmm. interesting,
2: it just makes me think of, you know, I'm thinking about, I would love to go and pitch to people like, give me a million dollars so that I can just make art and like, and be yeah, like,
0: like Netflix, like yeah. to just be on contract there for five years and like, it's, I hope you make something.
2: Exactly. <laughs> and I think that like for something like that, right. Like I would step into the patron archetype in order yeah. to make that makes the most sense for what it is that I'm trying to pitch. Cause it's about, it would be me, right. Like I'm not pitching a specific idea. It's invest in my personality, invest in, you know, how I show up, you know? So mm-hmm. it, it's interesting thinking about, I just hadn't, thought about the fact that you could step into one depending on what it is that you're pitching rather than de- determining who you are and then tailoring it based on that. Totally. Yeah. Another, uh,
1: another way that I think about it with Substack because I'm clearly a one track mind person when it comes to content these days. <laughs> like yeah, all the I Sub-Stack talk is Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But it's such a great pitch for people's patronage on there is whatever free offerings they have. So most people will say, you know, subscribe for $5 a month, this much a year, or you can get this free article here and there. And I think pretty much everyone has some level of free offering, which we also call a lead magnet. Like there's so many Mm -hmm. different ways of having this. And even though people don't necessarily think about that as pitching, that's what you're doing when you're – creating a piece of free content to bring people into your universe
2: mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm,
0: 100 well, okay I, I feel like the patron is what uh, many of us like dream of we're like oh yeah. only i just had a rich zaddy who would give me money and
2: just let yeah. me exist and it works. it can totally work for lots of people but it
1: worked for many prolific artists It like, totally well, it
2: used to be so common that artists yeah. would like sponsors or like people come like benefit totally. and would just like um, afford them a whole career
0: you know? <laughs> yeah seriously yeah and like the, like you said Janelle the sort of dark side of that is you're indebted in a way to whoever your patron is so if you want to make mm-hmm. something that's radical or against maybe their belief system or something that's confronting you might not be allowed to make it mm-hmm. or you're, they might renege their support if you decide to make that thing so it can be a little like maybe a little dangerous to, to only be a patron creator but not to scare anyone. I think that this type of creator, I think I always think of Jessica DeFino. She has mm. an amazing Substack, yeah. and I think that's all she does now. She's like 100% yeah. paid. Mm-hmm. Our, friend, our new friend, Kate from the Embedded Substack, who we had on mm-hmm. the Good For You podcast, they're 100%, 100% full time on Embedded because of their patrons on Substack, which is incredible. They're really good examples of like creators doing this in the wild and how they pitch themselves. But this archetype often is an evolution of the Stoic or the trend spotting evolutionary. Like it's, it's not, it's often like the final form of someone. It's not like necessarily where we always start. Um, mm-hmm. because you kind of have to have like an ambiance or a reputation in order to, mm-hmm. to become this patroned creator. Right.
1: I also, last thing is I feel like part of the pitch for the patroned creator is having like a very strong opinions that go great. Against the grain as part of your constant pitch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to have a perspective, a clear perspective.
0: You can't just be like, you know, willy nilly kind of all for everyone. You really have to be clear on who you are. And I think that's why it's the final form often, because we, mm-hmm. we find our way through right. our work, right? Like we often understand and come to our determinations through writing a piece. And then we're like, actually, I don't really believe in this. Or, by, on, by researching this I really do believe in this thing or trying to write a podcast or create a show you're like oh wow I had to do a lot of research in order to come to this decision and you fine tune your voice and your perspective as you make work which is why you shouldn't be afraid to make work like just go make it you can always unpublish it later or you can delete it from the internet if it's embarrassing but just get started because you'll never find your way if you don't you just you, you can't sharpen your pencil
1: I love the pencil reference. <laughs> But it's true. While we were talking about this episode, I couldn't help but be like, never not pitching. And I think that can be an overwhelming idea or feel, yeah, overwhelming. Like, oh gosh. But I think it's more reason to give yourself license to be yourself and self actualize through all of the work that you do as much as possible so that, you know always pitching is more about you coming more into your own and
0: yeah you've said a couple times when we've been prepping for this episode it pitching is just about being seen and Mm -hmm. like how you feel comfortable being seen and for so many of us it's uh, it's really it's still uncomfortable for me like it's still so uncomfortable for me but if I can find my groove of okay this is what I know I shine at and I'm safe to be seen. And I trust myself to be seen, especially Mm. when I do what I love and Mm. I'm in my like zone of genius, then that makes it a little less intimidating. It's
2: so, so real. I think one of my greatest or favorite acting coaches growing up always told us that the best way to battle anxiety or nervousness or fear is through preparation. And that's part of it, right? Like really understanding how you're pitching and like what what it is, like what corner of what you're doing that you're speaking to is like that's how you prepare yourself. And then when you understand that anything can happen and can be thrown your way, but you're sort of unmoved in your resolve and what it is that you're coming to share with whoever you're pitching to. But yeah, I think that's so important. That's why I love I love having an understanding of the creator archetypes of like really Mm -hmm. being able to and again to have a really clear understanding of what exactly are you pitching because how i naturally show up as a creator may not be how i need to show up in this pitch you know depending on what mm. it is that i'm trying to get so it's
1: true it's it's not that as if you're this creator and that's it and i think to your point michelle about the patron often being something that people become maybe later on well into their careers is is true and i think that's also kind of true of the stoic our next archetype mm-hmm.
0: This is my personal favorite. I aspire to be the Stoic, but I don't think I am the Stoic. <laughs> I could
1: see both sides. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, here's why I wish I was the Stoic, because I just feel like someone who is the Stoic knows exact like, they have one focus, one, in like, mm-hmm. particular interest that they just want to go super deep on. Like, they just can keep – let's say the concept is productivity. They can research and talk about and, like, roll around with the concept of productivity for – years and years and never be satisfied or never be sated by it. Just like continue to find it interesting and be curious. And my ADHD squiggly brain is like, what's that like to just have one thing that you're interested in? <laughs> like, you know, nice. and, nice. and when they're when they're in their light, when they're in their sort of like genius, they're extremely deliberate and consistent because they just, they keep showing up, man. They And like, it's almost like they have blinders on. They're able to just show up and do what they're what they're here to do whether it's write a blog post or write their substack email or make their podcast it doesn't matter if no one listens to it it doesn't matter if a million people listen to it, it doesn't matter if it goes viral they're almost like unbothered and I also am jealous of that because, like, again, what is that like? Uh, this triple water will never know what it's like to be unbothered. They're also just essentialist in their content. They don't try to follow trends. They're the opposite of the trend spotting evolutionary. It, they're not going to just pick up any platform and, you know, take, take to it. In fact, they might deliberately turn their attention away from platforms like social media because they move too quickly. And the stoic knows that they'll never master those platforms the way that they, they desire to. That's really like the root of the stoic is mastery. But when they're too shadow, when they're shadowy, you know, that desire to master is also can be problematic, right? They can be too precious with their content or too perfectionistic, or like they think that they're what they're making is the most important thing in the world, like it's curing hunger and solving, you know, the the biggest issues on the planet and whatever. And it's not, and it really ain't that deep. A lot of the time, they can become a workaholic and really rigid when it comes to trying new ideas or exploring new concepts or new platforms or even evolving how they do things once once they've created a standard operating procedure. And when they're super shadowy, they can sort of evolve into the hermit. Don't look at me. They care mm-hmm. so little about other people and what they think that, like, they actually just shut themselves off from the world. And that's not that's not ideal
2: oh so many people came to mind. <laughs> yeah, really? Yeah, actually, but I, I don't know if they. Okay, so I'm just gonna throw out a couple people that I thought of: Eckhart Tolle, as a mm. stoic, uh-huh. also, good one. like one and the same, honestly. Deepak Chopra as well. Yeah, um, I just realized too that you're right. There are a lot. It's all men that came to mind. I think men typically show up as a stoic, right? That because um... it
0: seems like it for some reason that that. A lot of Tara our examples. Brock. Yeah, Tar Rock's a good example. But <laughs> I was like
1: I, in the same category. <laughs>
0: thank you, thank you, thank yeah, you. yeah, that's right. I, I do like wonder, well, I think that there's like some sort of gender bias there where we allow men to fail for longer. And, you know, like we're like, oh, you're still working on that thing. How? Wonderful, like good for you. And women aren't afforded those same options. It's like, oh, that's a cute hobby that you have. Like, (laughs) oh, that's so sweet that you're just like doing that thing still and you're not getting paid for it or whatever. But you know, maybe I'm just personally butt hurt. I don't know. Also, Prince Harry came up to me for for, came up for me for the stoic because he just keeps (laughs) talking. (laughs) he came up to me he was talking to me I saw him arrow (laughs) on no
1: I was hanging out in Montecito.
0: (laughs) no he comes up for me for me in this because he just keeps talking about the same shit over and over again and I would love to see him to continue to evolve but you know healing and growing isn't linear so we'll get we'll cut him some slack but yeah he's a little bit caught in a loop right now it seems
2: I mean, he was caught in a loop for all of his life, so I, <laughs> I feel like that, this is at least a better loop. <laughs> that's and, true. Yeah, I'm that's true. A bit more time to get him out of it, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> you know, hopefully, he will continue to evolve.
0: That's so true.
1: I, I'm thinking of a lot of women's or civil rights activists would fall in this category too, like Angela Davis, mm-hmm. and also my thinking of Gloria Steinem. They're good examples because especially in that line of work, you're in for the long haul. It's a marathon. You you have to be. Yeah.
0: Dolores Huerta. Yeah. That's such that's yeah. a really good point.
1: Good you have to be very stoic in general as, as like a public figure working, doing any type of activist work, especially mm-hmm. I think also as a woman or non-binary person, you have to be especially stoic, but also because so much of it is heads down, like thankless work, where it's not really about the notoriety. It's really about kind of legacy work. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, that's Um, a really great point. I think, yeah, I think, right, because now I'm thinking about all of the activists, people especially that have like really come into popularity, I guess, over the last few years, and they absolutely all would fall under a stoic, archetype and it is because they have to be so crystal clear in their focus and what they're Mm -hmm. doing and have to be unmoving in order to enact change and actually make forward progress like tamika mallory and like yeah there's
1: yeah so pitching this is an interesting one pitching as a stoic what says you guys
0: i think to pitch as a stoic your consistency is your pitch like Mm. it's almost like look at the library i have built, or look at my track record yeah and we say this a lot with content, you become an expert, like you don't have to start an expert, you become an expert just by showing up consistently and honestly outlasting most other people. Mm Because most people are not going to be the stoic, right? They're going to try the thing for a couple of months. And then if it doesn't hit, they're going to, you know, move on. And that there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. Um, Mm. But you, you get you fine tune your skills and you get better known as an expert in your field or your area when you continually show up and you continue to sort of like deepen your knowledge and you have to do that when you make content. What is the saying? You become an expert when you finally teach what you do to somebody else or what mm. you know to somebody else.
1: Mm. I just thought of because I was looking at her stuff, Kim Krantz. Do you think would be a stoic? Yeah, that's interesting.
0: I think that she. Borders on hermit vibes.
1: Mm, makes sense.
0: Oh, that makes a lot of
1: sense.
2: Yeah. I don't know a lot about Kim Cran's outside of all of right. her beautiful texts,
1: But I think- I really that, know the work. Point, yeah. yeah.
2: Like the hermit makes a lot of sense. Like she comes out yeah. when she has something prolific and amazing to share with the world. And yes. And they're and obsessed. <laughs> we'll buy okay. literally anything she makes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. 100%. If anyone knows Kim Cranes, let us know. We'd love to connect. (laughs) (laughs) I think another great opportunity to talk about The Hermit. We had Frank Ocean as an example and I was like, oof, that sets the stage.
2: (laughs) That's That's like the perfect example. And honestly, not as much so, but I was also thinking, again, same industry. Kendrick Lamar is also really hermity. Like he kind uh of orders a little bit. Between, like the definitely, hermit and maybe like even like the stoic a little bit, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, the hermit is. I mean, when in light, they're mysterious and elusive and. Dedicated to their art because that's what they love to do. It's what they're focused on and their bliss. They connect with their intuition and spirit. They're like literal channels. I think that's why hermits have to be hermits because it Mm -hmm. takes a lot of energy to channel. It's like exhausting. (laughs) And so you kind of have to be isolated in your own space in order to do that and do it clearly. So it's not, you don't have a bunch of stuff coming filtering through.
0: Yeah. They Um, need the quiet, you know? Like they can't, they almost have to be like go dark on social media because there's just too much chatter.
2: Yeah, I would imagine a lot of hermits also work between those like golden hours, like the, you know, Mm -hmm. like the two to six in the morning vibes, Mm because like everything is quiet and low and they show up, they emerge in the world when their art or their voice is needed most. They almost have like a sixth sense of knowing when that is, they just follow, again, they're channeling. So I think they're just tuned into spirit or elusive creative genius, whatever you want to call it. And they, they, I think they dedicate themselves to really listening to that and being in alignment with that. When in shadow though, they can become really precious and miserly with their work, right? They can become obsessive about things being perfect and them channeling things correctly, right? It's like, we think that we have access to this, like, you know, perfect divine being. And if we think as human beings, we're fucking it up, you know, we wanna make sure that it comes out in the way that it's meant to. And so they can become really obsessive over the work that they're doing. They can also forget that their work needs to be shared with the world and experienced to make an impact. Possibly because of their perfectionism, right? And their obsession. It's like, it's not about you. It's not Mm -hmm. about you thinking it's perfect and like how it goes into the world. It's for other people. So just like channel that shit and let it go, you know? Which is like way easier.
1: Just transmute it. Yeah, just like (laughs) do the thing, like let it go. Just do it perfectly. It's fine.
2: Yeah. So, but they tend to be perfectionists because of that. I think, I don't know, when you have such, I feel like such a close connection to, channeling you feel like you're so connected to the divine it could be so easy i think to lose yourself in that and to personalize it and to really like self-identify and just start to think that you're the one who's filtering this sort of like message and when it's just it's just going through you does that make sense like you're the one who's creating this message versus You're just being the vessel. Yeah. Some of the strategy, the content strategy for the Hermit is to remember their community. They're very much in service of their community. They are, again, just the vessel for this message. Make your reprieve intentional and thoughtful. Don't just ghost your community, right? Like, be clear about how you want to show your work or bring your work into the world, your art into the world. And set up, I, I would, like, say set up, like, a cosmic nurture sequence for that, right? Like,
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Yes. Like, yes. that, that
2: like, how do you, how do you not just leave people hanging once the art is out there? How do you give them a resource or a space to kind of, like, channel that, those feelings or energy, like, into? And drop breadcrumbs, right? They need to, people need to find a way back to you. I think, Frank Ocean is just such a perfect example of the hermit, but I don't know if Frank Ocean ever really drops breadcrumbs. I think Frank Ocean is the breadcrumb. Like, we just know he exists, so... Yeah.
0: He does on Tumblr. He'll release, like, little things on Tumblr.
2: Oh, okay. Okay, well, I'm so... We'll see. Now we know. (laughs) I need to get on Tumblr. But, yeah, like, people want to... They want to know, like, ultimately, you know, when you're out of sight too long, I think you are out of mind, right? And it doesn't mean that when you come back and you bring whatever it is that you're meant to bring into the world, that it's not going to be impactful and amazing and wonderful. But there's something to be said for making sure that you're staying in connection with your audience, right? With your community, that you don't totally lose or disconnect yeah, yourself from the people who love you, who, who support you, who patron you, who yeah, are impacted by your work.
0: Yeah. I feel like don't ghost to your point. And I feel the strongest way for a hermit to pitch is to get an advocate. Mm. And to have someone who can kind of like do the pitching for them a lot of the time and show up for them, almost like their energetic shield from mm. the world and also like the name, their nameplate on the world. Like their, yeah, their advocate, their champion who can like really speak about what they do. And I think if you're a creator, that means finding your 100 super fans or your 1,000 super fans and empowering them via community. To advocate for you out in the world, just like we're you know we sing Kim Krantz's praise praises as as often as humanly possible. Like we are, I think I've bought that deck twenty versions of her deck for different people. Like we're we're amazing brand advocates for her. And so, if that's what your goal is to be the hermit, eventually, I think you really need to focus on building community and nurturing that community.
1: What do you think? Absolutely. Yeah, I, it's such a good point. And I was also thinking about how often a producer and director will come together, yes. a designer and a copywriter. And usually in those creative co- collaborations, there are different personalities that balance each other out. Mm-hmm. And often one of those people can have more hermit qualities than the other person. Mm-hmm. And to be able to, you kind of like do a dance in creative partnerships of advocating for each other or being the more outgoing, the more outspoken marketer in a way and sometimes we know more about the artist than the manager but sometimes the manager is equally as important to the artist's legacy and business so I feel like in a way to your point with community it's like pitching in partnership you don't have to do it alone all of the pitching doesn't have to be up to you you can still have that space for yourself because I think that's where a lot of artists struggle the most. Yeah. 100%. I mean, yeah. Lovely... yeah.
2: And yeah, you just want – I think in general too as a creative, you always just want to have somebody in your corner, period. But yeah,
1: yeah.
2: I think – Yeah. I think, yeah, especially with the energy and, yeah, the just the amount of – yeah, the energy that it takes to create, to be a creative, it sometimes is helpful when you can have somebody who can say – this is what this person is doing, you know, and like they're spending their energy doing the thing, but like, this is why it's amazing. Again, I'm thinking, I'm like, this would be so amazing. It's yeah. so to have. I was like, I would love that. yeah. <laughs> That's like, I totally. would do this. Yeah. Well,
1: I, I mean, Janelle, I know you have a, a writing partner. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know the dynamic there, but I was thinking about how we have a great workshop on this that Michelle taught in the North node about, Actually, how to collaborate with people and make it be a very fruitful but egalitarian collaboration. And I think oftentimes when you're collaborating with other communities or creators or business partners who are bringing different strengths to the table, it can really elevate where you might feel not comfortable. So if you're a hermit or if you inhabit the hermit archetype a lot, collaborations, I think, for the idea of pitching and getting out there is a great way to go about it. Yeah.
0: And we just finished a course in Q4 for North Node on building community. Mm-hmm. And that me- really made me think of this. of so you yeah. can be someone else's advocate without like having a formal deal where you're like, I will do this for you. Because yeah. it's so much easier to like advocate for someone else. At least I find, I- I'll speak from the I. It's so much easier for me to advocate for someone else than it is for me to advocate for myself and sell myself. And I find that when I sell other people, when I advocate for them, when I hype them up and I get them gigs, like they usually return that favor and they start to think of, think of me. And it doesn't need to be something that we like do a handshake deal on. It's kind of just an energetic thing that happens.
1: An energetic exchange is a nice way of thinking about it too. I like how you said that. We have one last archetype to get through.
0: All right. The last one, (laughs) honestly, my personal favorite, the empire building futurist. So this person, when light is very much big manifesting generator energy, they like to do all the things and everything is, they're juggling all of it. You know, like it's almost like they thrive in a little bit of chaos, controlled chaos. Mm. And they really see the big vision and how all of the projects in their life connect to what it is their capital W work is in the world. So it doesn't feel like they're just doing all these random things just to be busy or because they're desperate. It's like there's some through line between everything that they do. And that means that they're often following their passions and their curiosities as they come up. And the through line is their interest. And they find a way to sort of Spider web or weave everything that they're doing together. So it all grows, you know, out of the same sort of like fertilizer, which is their energy and their genius and whatever. And they're a little bit more forward thinking than the trend spotting evolutionary, I think. They see the future, but they're also discerning. So they're Mm. able to sort of see more than just a trend. They're able to see the directionality of like where an entire industry is moving as opposed Mm. to a sort of flash in the pan trend. But, you know, the, The downside of this is because they're doing so much, they can burn out really easily often because they're trying to do a lot as well. And maybe you're a little bit of a control freak. Your message can be diluted or Mm. you trust the wrong people, you are hands off with them. And then, you know, the brand can, can sort of like go downhill. They'll lose the thread or they even like make bad partnership choices in an attempt to reach as many people as they possibly can. So sometimes they go for quantity over quality and- you know, sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. And because they're able to grow and they really are are like in this for the long haul, sometimes they become unrelatable to who originally started with them. Because I think the empire building futurist is a person who evolves very quickly and they evolve in sort of the limelight in a way. And we've talked, I mean, this is a sort of common conversation i think in the influencing world right now where people got famous for being relatable and now they're living in 10 million dollar mansions in Beverly Hills mm. and they're really unrelatable and they're content creators and that's something that they have to battle against so that's empire building futurist let's talk about how they pitch
1: do you guys have an example i do i'm thinking of esther perel because she very much is into something she does a bunch in it writes a lot of books makes board games related to it and then it pivots to something else and moves on but i feel like when it comes to relationships and dynamics whether it's her studying work dynamics after relationships i feel like she's very good at being ahead of okay what's the next wave to be on but also to your point michelle like she's she's figuring out ways that are sustainable for her to keep working and i feel like continuously expanding her empire versus kind of being flighty or flaky. She's very grounded in her approach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: That's such a good example. Alain de Botton, I think is another good example. She, he's kind of adjacent to Esther and he runs the school of life and he is a modern philosopher and he talks a lot about relationships and he has a great essay called You Will Marry the Wrong Person. He talks about love and he has an incredible, he's created an incredible like empire oh, yeah. around philosophy and understanding ourselves and understand having empathy for other people and I feel like he should be way more famous than he is like I do feel like sometimes they lose the thread a little they have so many products that like it's a little overwhelming
2: that's true I think somebody who is at the beginning or I say I thought was at the beginning stage of their empire building futurist so probably like in the first decade of that is Quinta Brunson
0: yeah Mm yeah
2: I recently oh my read goodness. an interview that she did where she talked about how she has built a relationship with Warner Brothers over the last 10 years through, obviously she was with BuzzFeed for a while, but she mm-hmm. would do like sketch work and also do some writing for different shows on mm-hmm. Warner Brothers. And she said that for her, she strategically kind of put herself in rooms and created relationships with people at Warner Brothers so that she could get to a place where she could start to pitch her own shows. Mm. And then she obviously got Abbott Elementary in there. And I have a feeling it's just the beginning for her, even though yeah. she's been doing it for a while. Totally. But she, to me is like such a great example of an empire building futurist. I know that it'll continue to expand into different realms and like areas of the industry probably. And I'm sure products will come out soon and everything, but I'm just obsessed with her, and she—that's
1: a great right example. Now, yeah,
2: I'm yeah. hoping that she keeps a steady pace and like doesn't like burn yeah. out because she's hot stuff right now.
1: Some oh. of her old BuzzFeed stuff is my favorite stuff. It's so good. <laughs> it's <laughs> so good.
2: BuzzFeed, just her like sketches. That she just put on YouTube. Her
1: YouTube. Oh, oh my god. It?
2: I mean, so fucking funny.
1: Okay, pitching for this archetype. That was a good example of how she's been building her pitch for Right. A decade. Slowly yeah. but surely.
2: I feel like that's part partially it, right? It's like you're pitching you are pitching the empire. You're not just pitching mm-hmm. this idea. Like, yeah, you're pitching like this is the conglomerate that this will be and this is how this will impact yeah. all of the different areas that it'll touch. You know, I think that having mm-hmm. a real clear understanding of what your empire is gonna look like and what it's going to speak to, like that I think is really essential to how you ultimately end up pitching because you're yeah, yeah you're, you're pitching again like it's not just a thing, one thing you're pitching a lifestyle this is like a oh you know yeah yeah, yeah to me
0: I think of like brick by they work brick by brick but they have mm. the blueprint to the house and they're able yeah. to show you like, this is what the house is going to look like. And I know right. like, but each brick matters, you know, and all yeah. of it come all of it's going to come together and be this incredible oh. thing. And they know they have to work brick by brick. They can't just yeah. have it happen overnight. That's I think what differentiates them from the trend spotting evolutionary Is they're not just like riding trends and waves, trying to like find what's going to hit. They Mm. are almost like a hybrid of the stoic and the transponding evolutionary in that way. Because they're like, I know what it is that I do. And like what this is
2: like, I know the path, if that makes sense. Great imagery. It's like really clear imagery.
1: It's like you're being brought into their world slowly. They're like opening doors slowly to show what's really happening in their universe. And it's like all will be revealed over time. Yeah. And I think when it comes to
0: actually pitching yourself, so if you identify as this or this is the archetype you want to be great, like zooming out as often as possible and being like, and by the way, here's why this thing that I'm teaching you is important, like in your life, in, you Mm -hmm. know, in the grand scheme of things, or here's why this product is going to make your life better or whatever, kind of just like grounding people, I I think makes a really big difference.
1: That's a great place to stop. Because we are out of time. And we also have two amazing episodes that go even more in depth into all of these archetypes that we will link in the show notes. But next week, we're going to be having a little breaking of the fourth wall is what I said, but that's technically not true in podcasting world. Amelia, our wonderful editor, is coming on the pod next week. We have such a fun interview where we're talking about growing and pitching without social media. So how do you scale, grow a business without social media? And how do you sell your ideas, your products, your services. But Amelia talks about her very personal journey through becoming an influencer, a creator, and then deciding to hop off social media. So it's a really good episode. And we have a lot around creators who are doing things differently on the pod in February. So that's what's happening in the Holisticism pod universe. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you. We love you. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure to check out the two creator archetype episodes in the show notes and hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. We will see you soon.